right. What's up? Thank you, Mark. You almost have all had to pay taxes this year or something, and you just mail those things in Thursday and you're all depressed. I don't understand what's going on. Hey, a couple things, or one thing before we jump into what we're talking about today. Um, we, this, most of you know that, um, I hope all of you know, we don't own this building. Does everybody know that? Uh, I'm not Marion Waters or, you know, or the superintendent of uh, Greer, uh, Greenville County Schools, so we rent this building from Greenville County. And, uh, and, they, and we've got a great relationship with the folks here at Greer High School. We've been meeting here for um, just over five years and have had no problems at all. And, and they, are, they are gracious hosts to us. One of the things that is one of their rules that we need to abide by is no food or drink in this uh, room right here. And uh, we had, um, we've had a couple of coffee spills. And here's what I've noticed about the food and drink that's coming in. It's not the children, all right? Now, I know there's some of you that think, I ain't going to spill this coffee. I'm a grown man. I can hold on to my coffee. Well, at some point, it's getting spilled, and it's staining the carpet, and we're going to have to pay extra for that, which is not good. But the, the bigger issue with that is we don't want to do anything that would give the folks at Greenville County School District or Greer High School, we don't want to give them any reason for them to say, you know what, it would just be easier not to let those folks use our building every week. So, uh, so let me remind you again, no food or drink in here. And let me tell you what we're going to start doing the first Sunday in May. Um, our greeting team, which are the folks that they're nice enough to hand you a blue sheet. It's blue today when you come in and help you know where you're supposed to be. Uh, the first Sunday in May, they are going to start also, if you're walking in holding a cup of coffee or a donut, they're going to say, um, could you uh, dispose of that before you come in here? So I'm telling you that now. So that I'm, and I'm going to I'm going to remind you about it again next week, and I'm going to remind you about it again on the first Sunday in May because what I don't want is for some of y'all cussing at our greeters. You know, I can bring in my coffee if I want to, and we, I don't know if you've seen some of our greeters. We got some pretty big guys, all right. And I've given Jason Collins permission to put the smackdown on anybody. No, I'm just kidding. So here's the thing: um, if you. Uh, just, rem- just try to remember that, and I know you probably forget that week to week, and so I'm going to remind you today, and we're going to remind you a couple of times, but in a couple of weeks, starting the first Sunday in May, we will ask you not to bring that in before you come in, just to help you remember, not to be mean, but just to help you remember. All right, um, we're going to talk about the good news today. If you were here last week, uh, you heard the bad news, right? And, um, and one of the things that, uh, that I was thinking about is I thought, if you came last week and came back again this week, and some of y'all didn't, well, some of y'all are here, some people didn't come back this week. I'm looking at the crowd, and some of them thought, man, I ain't going back to that church, that was too bad. But if you came back, either, uh, if you're here today, either you weren't here last week at all, you don't know what we talked about, or you were here last week and you just really enjoy being abused and people speaking harshly to you, or you thought, I really want to get back and hear the good news. I heard the bad stuff. I really want to hear the good news, and I hope that's why you're here today. Um, I want us to, to pray before we jump into this, and let me tell you why I want to do that. Um, 
I'm not one of these preachers, and, and nothing to say anything bad about those preachers that do this. But you know, th- there'll be some preachers that it seems like every week they'll stand up and say, God told me to change the message at the last minute, you know, or whatever, and God didn't tell me to do that. And you know, or there's some that will say, I really, you know, this is bad, this is bad, or whatever, and we need to pray about this. But here's the deal, really seriously, today, and I started sensing this um, from the time I got up, and I was really sensing a little bit last night. I believe that the devil wants to do everything he can to keep you from understanding what we're going to talk about today. I really believe that. And the scripture tells us in the New Testament, it tells us that we are in spiritual warfare and it says that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against the rulers, the authorities, and the principalities of the dark world. We fight against what Satan is trying to do in our life. And I know you're thinking, man, Cliff, you really are crazy. Last week you are talking about doomed to hell and now you're talking about Satan. Well, listen, Satan is real, and he's not just something that the church lady talked about back in the 80s, right? Satan is real, and and he wants to do everything he can to deceive you, and he wants to do everything he can to distract you and to keep you from hearing what the message is today. So, And I just have this sense this morning, and I even sensed it as we got done praying with the band, and as we got done, I was walking around out there, I just have this sense that Satan wants to do all he can today to keep you from hearing what the true message is about God's grace. So I want us to pray right now, and what I'd like for you to do, instead of just sitting there and passively listening to what I have to say, I want you to actively pray while I'm praying and ask God to keep your your mind away from distractions and ask God to give you an understanding of what we're going to talk about today. So let's all pray together. Bow your heads. Father God, what we're going to talk about today is It is the key to everything that we believe. Your grace is what it's all about. And Lord, I know that the devil wants to do all that he can to keep us from understanding that message, to keep us from hearing that message. But God, here's the good thing that I know. I know that you are more powerful than he is, and you've already defeated him when you died on the cross and rose from the grave. And so Lord, I pray today that we would rest in your power, that we would... Uh, understand everything that's said, that we would have a a clarity and and, and that we would not have anything that would distract us from the message that you want us to go home with today. And we thank you for who you are and what you want to do in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Great. Well, let's jump into it. So last week we talked about the fact that all of us have sinned. And that, and that not only have all of us sinned, but that it's really messed us up totally down to who we are. And, and that message last week that we talked about, that's not a popular message today. You see, the popular message today that people want to talk about is, is they want you to believe and they want you to think that you're really not as bad as you think you are. And hey, everybody, you know, we're all kind of walking the same path and we're all going to eventually get there. And you might go through this and I might go through this, but it's all good, right? Nobody's really getting hurt. And so we're all moving on. And so that's the message people want us to believe. And the, the, other part of the message people want us to believe is is that when it comes to who god is god is supposed to look at our lives he's supposed to look at the way we live our lives he's supposed to look at the sin that's in our life and he's supposed to just turn his head and say well there's nothing i can really do about that and he's just supposed to kind of roll over and take it and and allow us to abuse him that that we that we can spit in his face we can reject him and he responds without doing a thing 
Well, I don't know about you, but if that's the way God is, that's not a God that I want to worship. Because that means He's no longer really God. If God is the God that says, I really can't do anything about the way you're living and, and, and I'm, I'm too meek and I'm too, I'm, I'm too timid to punish you for what you're, you've done, that's not who God is. And so we talked about last week that part of God's nature is, is that He is a just God. And when, if you are a just God, if, if that's part of His nature, then sin must be punished. So what we talked about last week is, is that because of our sin, there has to be a punishment dealt out for that sin. Something has to happen. That sin is serious. That sin, uh, it grieves God, it angers God, and He will respond as a result of it. And so let's look again. Let's just remind you, and I know you're thinking, Cliff, come on, get to the good news, and we're going to. But let me read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, one more time. And this is what we talked about last week, just to remind us of where we were. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. And so there in verse 3, it tells us that what our problem is, is that we are gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. We're just doing whatever seems natural to us. And it seems like it's okay, but it's a sinful nature that we are gratifying. And because of that, because of the, who we are and, and, and where we've been, that we are by nature objects of wrath. We are sinful from the inside out. And that's why we sin. We don't sin and that makes us sinful. We sin because we are sinful. And we talked about that last week. So let's get to verse 4. Let's get to the good news. So it says all that, things are bad, we're objects of wrath. And then the first word in verse 4, I want you to say it out loud with me. But, so come on, say it. You called somebody that yesterday. Now, I know you can say it louder than that. Say it with me one more time. But, now here's the thing about this word. A three-letter word. It's a uh, conjunction, right? Isn't that correct? Remember conjunction, junction, what's your function? Anybody remember Schoolhouse Rock? Bringing together, for, you know. So, uh, so what, what this word does, what this conjunction does, is you've got this one statement over here, and then you put the word but, you put this three-letter word in there before you have this other statement. Now, the great thing about this conjunction, the great thing about this three-letter word is, it's a word that changes what you just heard earlier. For example, let's say you go on a blind date with someone, right? Did it, has anybody, raise your hand if you ever were on a blind date. Did it, did it turn out successful, anybody? I've heard people that actually get married to the person they went on a blind date with, which I think is pretty cool. Andy, you did? Awesome. Very good. Kelly? Oh, yeah, Kelly and Brian were a blind date. That's awesome. Very good. So, I'm sorry, I've totally got to, I asked, I asked, I prayed we wouldn't get distracted, now look at me up here. Back to the word but. So it, let's say you go on a blind date, and, uh, and you go on the blind date, and so the next day you want to get a report from your roommate about how it went, because he knows the girl, you know, he's the one that set you up, and he says, uh, well, she, the girl you went out on a blind date with last night, she found you offensive in every possible way. And, and so you're thinking, man, this is bad. But, oh, all right, this is going to be good news. Her roommate 
is twin sisters with Angelina Jolie, and she says she can't live without you, right? So you see what happens there. You've got this, you've got this bad situation, this bad statement, then the word but comes in, and it's followed by something better. So look at here. Verses 1, 2, and 3, you've got all this bad stuff. You're, you're satisfying the desires of your sinful nature. You are by nature objects of wrath. And then verse 4 starts with but. Okay, it's got to get better because it can't be much worse than being objects of wrath. So what happens after the word but in verse 4? It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, and then verse 5, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now in verse 4 there it says because of his great love for us. Now we just talked about a while ago that part of God's nature is is that he is a just God. That sin must be punished, right? But he is also a God of love. In fact, the New Testament says that God is love. So you've got these two parts of God's nature. You've got the part of his nature where he's a just God, sin must be punished, but he's also love, and so he wants to do something about that sin. He wants to help us take care of that sin problem. Now, when we look at that, we see it as almost as two opposing sides of God, like God's got a split personality. Over here he's the mean God, and over here he's the nice God. But it's not a split personality. It, it's all part of who he is. He is just, he is also love. It's all part of the God that we worship. And then in verse 5 it says that he has made us alive with Christ. That's what we talked about on Easter Sunday. That the way that God saves is through what Jesus did on the cross. That God who is rich in mercy and because of his great love for us, he has made us alive with Christ. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of the resurrection, we can be saved from the fact that we are by nature objects of wrath. And then look at the rest of verse 5 there. Because this part is so important. It says that even when we were dead... In our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Even when you were dead in your transgressions. See, it doesn't say once you got it all together. It doesn't say that once you've lived clean for five years and got off of drugs and got off of alcohol and quit looking at stuff on the internet you shouldn't look at and quit running around with, with uh, your boss or, or your secretary or whatever it might be, it do, or once you made your mama proud. It doesn't say that that's when Christ saved us. It says that even when you were dead in your transgressions, even when you were by nature objects of wrath, when you were messed up, when you didn't know where to go next, you didn't know how to make a right decision, you were letting everybody down in your life, you were going broke, you were addicted to stuff, that even in the midst of all of that, that God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, even during that time, he made you alive with Christ. And it is by grace you have been saved. And that's the key word is grace. That's what holds all of this together. That is the power that saves. And it's, the, and it's all because of what Jesus has done. In fact, grace is the power that is at work in your life whether you know it or not. Before you accept Jesus, grace is already at work in your life 
trying to draw you to Jesus. Once you accept Jesus, it is the grace that does the saving. And then after you accept Jesus, it is the grace that preserves that salvation. It is the grace that holds you in the hand of God and doesn't let you slip out when you do everything that you can to run from Him. It is all because of grace that you have been saved. Now look at verses 6 and 7 while Paul continues here writing. It says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You know what that's talking about there? It's talking about the promise of heaven. Now, if you grew up in church and sang Amazing Grace, does anybody remember the last verse of Amazing Grace? What does it say? When we've been there 10,000 years. And I remember as a kid listening, and it says that we've been there 10,000 years, and we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Now, as an adult, I hear that, and it brings me comfort. As a kid, I would hear that, and I would think, we're going to sing for 10,000 years. And then when we get done with that, we're going to keep on singing for 10,000 more years, you know. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be beating my head against the golden bricks on the, on the sidewalk, you know, saying, can we do something besides sing, right? Now, that's, that's what I thought about. But, and, and it was funny, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he was talking about, he was talking with his son about what heaven was going to be like, and they were talking it's going to last forever, and his son said, hey, well, shouldn't there be an end to it? Because in his mind, you know, he's about the same age that I was that I was thinking singing for 10,000 years sounds pretty boring. And in this kid's mind, he's thinking we're just going to get there and we're going to get older and older and older and older and older and it's going to last forever. And so we have a hard time sometimes understanding what heaven's about. But it says in verse 6 and 7 that in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, that what we're going to get in heaven that what it's going to be like there is so big that it's going to take all of eternity for God to reveal it to us. And it's not going to be boring. That it's going to be every day, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was going to happen. And look, the next morning, here's something new that I'm learning about who God is. And that's going to go on day after day after day for eternity. It's never going to end. You're never going to, realize, you're never going to get to a point and say, this is kind of old hat, this whole heaven thing. It's going to be every day the incomparable riches of His grace. And then look what it says, verses 8 and 9 there of Ephesians 2. So after all that, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In 1992, a guy named Bill Clinton ran for president. Now, when he decided to run for president, the sitting president at that time was George, uh, George Bush the first, I guess we'll go, George Herbert Walker Bush, Daddy Bush, right? So he was, Daddy Bush was the president, and Clinton decides to run for president in 1992. In 1991, the year before the election, George Bush the first, you know what his approval rating was at that time? 90%. No, no president since then has ever come close to touching 90%. Even Barack Obama, the day after he was elected, and people were just falling out in Chicago and thinking that Jesus had come back, even after that, the next day, it wasn't a 90% approval rating. But in 1991, Bush the first had a 90% approval rating, 
And then in 1992, Bill Clinton still beat him and won the presidency. You know how they did it? At the same time that George Bush had this 90% approval rating and people patriotism was running high with the first Iraq conflict, there was a recession going on. Sound familiar? Now, not as, not, now that we've had in this recession we've been in now, we look back to 1991 and we say, that wasn't really a recession, right? But at that time, it was serious and people were upset by it. And so the guy that ran Bill Clinton's campaign was a guy named James Carville. Maybe you've seen him on TV. Ball-headed guy and he talks funny, right? And so James Carville ran Clinton's uh, campaign and he said, Everybody loves this president, but the recession's bad, so let's focus everything on the economy. And they had a statement that they put up on the wall in every single one of Bill Clinton's campaign headquarters all across the country, and it said this, it's the economy, stupid, because they wanted to remind them you've got to talk about the economy. Well, look at verse 8 of Ephesians 2, and it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And then look back at verse 5, it says, at the end of verse 5, it is by grace you have been saved. I think that the Apostle Paul is saying to us when it comes to how God saves us, it's grace, stupid. He's wanting us to remember that. He's saying it over and over again. It's grace, stupid. And the reason why he has to continue to repeat it, the reason why it's not just okay to say it in verse 5, but he's got to say it again in verse 8, and then we're going to get to verse 9 in a minute. He's going to remind us of it one more time in verse 9. The reason why is because grace is such a foreign concept to us. It is so unique. You know, and, and you're sitting here thinking, Cliff, I don't even know what grace is. Here's the easy definition of grace. Grace is God giving us rewards that we don't deserve. The, I always heard it say it's, it's God's unmerited favor, which is kind of hard to understand. But what that means is we can't do anything to earn it. But God continues to pour out blessings on us. He continues to give us things that we don't deserve. And that is unique to us. And the reason that it's unique is because it's unique to all other religions too. Because think about this. We, we believe we've got a just God who must punish sin. It's in his nature. He can't avoid wanting to punish sin. He must do it. But at the same time, that just God who must punish sin... He looks at us and he chooses not only to withhold that punishment from us, but then he also gives us eternal life. He also gives us things that we don't deserve. He rewards us. Verse 8 there again. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. You see, it's not natural. What did we talk about last week? What's natural to us? It's natural to us to get revenge, right? Remember I told you a story about Braden wanting to bust that little boy in the eye with a baseball? That's natural to us. You get me, I'm going to get you back twice as hard. I'm going to go get all I can get. That's what's natural to us. So grace is not natural. Revenge is natural. Selfishness is natural. The, grace is the opposite of what's natural to us. Grace is the opposite of sin. I, d I did youth ministry for a long time before we started this church and, and um one of the things you get an opportunity to do as a youth minister from time to time is go to court with a kid who's gotten in trouble. And that would happen from time to time, and, and they, want, they would want me to come. And, and, I, and I think they probably wanted me to come maybe either to let the judge know that this kid actually had been in church sometime, or maybe they thought that just, you know, the holy presence of the youth minister would, keep, you know, make everything okay. I don't know. But I went to court with this one kid one time, and he was a, he was a great kid. And, uh, and what he had done was uh, he had been in a car accident 
and, uh, and he thought he was going to be cute, and he gave some false information and drove off to the person. And, and didn't, they just exchanged, hey, we'll pay for each other's car. And so he made up, you know, he said, I'm Donnie Kaufman, and I live at, you know, he made up a fake name and, and a fake phone. He just pulled numbers out of the hair of 555 That's my number. Call it, right? And he drives off. Well, so he thought he had gotten away with it. Well, one afternoon, he's at his house playing PlayStation, and literally the cops come to the door and put him in handcuffs and take him and lock him up. I mean, bad deal for a 16-year-old kid. So it comes the day of the, of the hearing, and I go down with him to Poinsett Street, and his parents are there, and, and we're standing there, and Judge Mims down there, if you've never gone to his courtroom, you need to go, and it's like stand-up comedy hour. He's really funny. And so Judge Mims calls him up there, and he starts messing with the kid and says something like, I don't think you'd look good in orange, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and so, so then at the end of it, after he makes the decision, what he did was to this kid, he didn't fine him. He didn't, uh, he didn't give him any time in prison, which are both two things that he could have had done to him based on what he committed. And the kid said he was guilty. It was no doubt the kid was guilty. And instead, Judge Mims said, all you need to do is you need to, your parents need to pay for the damage done to this kid's car and you need to pay court costs. Now, you know what that was? That was mercy. Because mercy is the withholding of punishment. That day, they could have said, this is a $500 fine and 30 days in jail, and I don't care that your youth minister's here or not, you're going to jail, right? That's what they could have done to him. And, and, and he would have been totally justified in doing that because the kid was guilty. But Judge Mims decided that he wanted to extend mercy to this kid. And that's what God does to us. It says that God who is rich in mercy, when he doesn't give us the punishment we deserve for our sin, the punishment we deserve for our sin is death eternal death in hell that's the punishment we deserve when god chooses not to give us that punishment he's showing his mercy but that's not grace you know what grace would have been that day if judge mims would have said okay not only you committed this crime and and we know you did it not only am i not going to find you and not only am i not going to make you go to prison but the court is going to buy you a new car and we're going to pay for your taxes and insurance as long as you own this vehicle now that's stupid isn't it you hear that and you say, I can't understand. That, that's dumb. But you know what that is? That's grace. Because that's what God does for us. God says, you are guilty. You are by nature objects of wrath. And I'm going to withhold the punishment you deserve, which is death in a burning hell. I'm going to withhold that for you. And I'm going to send you to heaven. A place where there'll be no crying. There'll be, there'll be uh, no heartache. There'll be uh, no dissension. There'll be no arguments. It's going to be a wonderful place where it's going to take eternity for you to even understand how great it is. That's what grace is. And because of that, we know that grace is supernatural. If I'd have walked out of that courtroom that day and Judge Mims had demanded the court buy this kid a new car and pay for his taxes and insurance, I'd have been shaking my head. And that's the way we should feel about grace. We should be saying, I don't understand it. It's supernatural. We don't deserve it. And God chooses to give it to us. You see, it's not made up by humans because a human couldn't have made this up. Because what we want to do is we want to get revenge. We want everybody to pay for what they did. Oh, they did that, then they need to go to jail. And they need to suffer for it. And they did me wrong. I hope that other people do them wrong. I want the worst thing to happen to them than happen to me. That's what we want. But God is rich in mercy and he's rich in grace. And that's what he gives us. Then the second thing, I want you to look at verse 9. It says this. 
It's not by works so that no one can boast. See, when we try to be God, we fail. When we try to be God, we fail. You see, I think it's funny that verse 9 is in there where it says, not by works so no one can boast. He's already said in verse 5, it's only grace that saves you. Verse 8, it's only grace that saves you. Every, we should all be understanding that now, shouldn't we? There should be no doubt about it. But then he adds in one more thing. Okay, it's only grace, and that means it's not by works. You need to understand, it's not only is it, is it just grace, but that means it's not by works because, because it's natural to us. Because grace is so strange to us, it would be natural for us to try to work for it, to try to earn it. Because we don't understand it, it, it doesn't make sense. Grace is it's, it's supernatural, it's beyond our comprehension. So if God's going to give me heaven, if God's going to save me by sending his only son to die on the cross, i got to do something to earn that. I've got to go to church every week, and I've got to give my money, and I've got to help little old ladies across the street, and I've got to witness to everybody, and I've got to feed the poor, and I've got to do all this kind of stuff. And I don't do that stuff because I want to, but I do that because I'm trying to get God to love me and trying to get God to save me. And when we do that, you know what we're doing? Is we're trying to be God. We really are trying to be God. Because when we try to work for our salvation, we reject grace. When we try to work for our salvation, we reject grace. Because what we're doing is we're telling God, you can't do it, God. God, I've been too bad. I've done stuff that, that I would never want anybody to know about. I've done stuff that would make my mama cry. I've done stuff that would make my wife or my husband leave me. I've done stuff that would embarrass my kids. I've done stuff that if I got caught, I would spend the rest of my life in jail. You, don't, you, you can't save me on your own, God. I've got to try to do something. I've got to do these good works. I've got to go and try to serve at the church. I've got to do these things because if I don't do this, you won't love me and you can't save me. And when we do that, we're rejecting the grace of God because what God says is, that grace is the only way you can be saved. That it's not by our works. It's by grace that you're saved. And see, trying to be God, that's been the problem of us as humans forever. Think all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, God says, eat whatever you want. It's all yours. But this one tree over here, don't eat off of it. And so Satan comes along in the form of a snake and he tells Eve, hey, if you eat off that tree, you know what will happen? You'll be like God. And so, dude, that was like a bee that just landed on me. Did anybody else see that? Like a Japanese hornet that just came up here. I mean, I really heard it buzzing in my ear. Let's get back on point here. What I tell you? I told you there's going to be distractions today. Let's get back on point. Where were we? Oh yeah, Adam and Eve in the garden. See, our problem from the beginning has been trying to be like God. And so he says, don't eat off this one tree. And then Satan says, if you eat off this tree, you will be like God. And so what does she do? She eats it, she gives it to Adam. He says, yeah, let's eat some of this. And so that was the beginning, the very first sin was trying to be like God. You go over a few more chapters in Genesis, you get to the Tower of Babel story. And what were they doing? Hey, let's build up a tower and try to get to God. 
Once again, they're trying to be like God. You go over a few more books of the Bible, you get to the book of Daniel, there's a guy, a king named Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to put up these images of me, they're going to be these gigantic gold statues, and everyone has to bow down to the image of me and worship me because I am a God. And so once again, people trying to be like God, it's caused this problem. You get all the way to the New Testament, and you got these group of guys that walked around calling themselves the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, they would take the law of God, and they would hold it over people's heads and say you broke this law you broke that law you're not doing right and once again what were they trying to do they were trying to be god they were judging people putting themselves in the place of god and when we try to be god anytime we try to be god anytime we take something else and we make it ultimate in our life and god's not ultimate everything falls apart when we try to make our kids god and we do everything that they want and think we've got to buy them everything, your life will fall apart. When you try to make your work God, everything will fall apart. Anytime we put anything else in the place of God, it messes up. And so when we try to be God, we fail. And when we try to work for our salvation, when we try to work to get God to love us, we're trying to be God. Look at Ephesians 1. I want to read you Ephesians 1.18. I want to read you the verses before Ephesians 2, now you remember last week, Ephesians 2 is where we started. And it talked about how, how we were so messed up in our sin. But I want you to look at what they were talking about before Ephesians 2. Paul is talking there about how amazing Jesus is. And it says this in Ephesians 1.18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power, for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, before I go to verse 21, and this doesn't have anything to do with today, but I think it's so cool, we don't want to, don't want to miss it. He says in verse 19 that the power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in our lives. That's a whole other message for another day. But that means that we can get over whatever our issue is. We can overcome things in our life because if it was a power strong enough to raise Christ for the dead and it's working in our lives, we should be able to draw on that same power. All right, verse 21. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but also in the one to come, and God placed what under his feet? Say it with me. All things. Say it one more time. All things. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So he's saying here that Jesus Christ is the ultimate and God has placed everything under his feet. And then look at the next verse, verse 2-1. It says, now as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. Do you see what's happened here? He's saying, Jesus is the ultimate. He's placed everything under, God has placed everything under Jesus' feet. Now you, on the other hand, you are dead. You are dead in your transgressions. Do you see how silly it is for us to try to work to get God to love us? Do you see how silly it is for us to try to serve and and do things just so that god will forgive us of our sin like we got like somehow we can be good enough because it says that only jesus has had everything placed under his feet we are dead i've been to a lot of funerals 
I've even preached a few funerals. And at funerals, there's a lot of activity going on and there's people walking through the line and greeting people and there's relatives seeing each other that haven't seen each other in years and there's a lot of talking and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and after that's over, the people go to the graveside and there's a lot of hanging around and all that kind of stuff. But you know one thing I've never seen at a funeral? I've never seen the corpse do anything. I've never seen the dead person act at all. You know why? Because they're dead. And the scripture tells us that we are dead in our sin. We are dead in our transgressions. And the only hope for us is grace. The only hope for us is what Jesus did on the cross. So maybe you're thinking, okay, Cliff, so what does this mean? Are you saying that everyone gets the gift of grace? That we don't have to do anything at all and we just sit back and God saves everybody and it doesn't matter, everybody's going to heaven and nobody's going to hell because Jesus died? No, that's not what it says. Look at verse 8 one more time. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, and God raised us up, excuse me, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Through faith. See, faith is the catalyst. Many of you remember science from high school? You got these two things you put together and they don't do anything. You, you pour this in and you pour this in and nothing happens when those two things are together. Then you take this third element, which is the catalyst, and you pour it in and stuff blows up and the science teacher's hair catches on fire and all that kind of stuff because you added this third element, right? The element that, that, that begins grace working in our lives where it begins to save us is faith. Faith is the catalyst. It's the thing that sets it in motion. And you're saying, wait a minute, Cliff. You just said that there's nothing we can do, that it's all grace. Isn't faith something that we do? No, it's not something we do. And here's why I mean by that. Faith is the opposite of us doing something. Faith is when you get to the point where you say, I give up. I've tried it my own way. I've tried to work my way into heaven. I've tried to work my way into feeling good about my life. I've tried to earn a bunch of money. I've done this, I've done that, and none of it has worked. Faith is when you finally say, God, I give up, and I'm just trusting your grace. That's all I can do. I give up, and I'm just going to fall down, and your grace is going to have to catch me because that's all I can do. I can't do anything. Faith is the opposite of us working. Faith is when we get to the point where we say, my works won't get it done. And we're going to let grace cover me. Now, before we finish up, let me tell you what's going to happen next week. Because some of you are walking out of here today and saying, well, I'm going to quit working at church because Cliff said that I don't have to anymore, right? If you want to, if you want to see, read the rest of the story, Read verse 10 before you come, or Ephesians 2.10. Read that before you come back next week. Because we're going to talk next week about we do have some responsibilities, but our responsibilities aren't what saves us. Our responsibilities are a reaction to the fact that we've been saved. All right? But here's what I want us to do right now. It's grace, stupid. It's grace. And if you are holding on to anything else to get you into heaven, 
If you were holding on to anything else to get you in right standing with God, and you think maybe because you coach a little league baseball team, God's going to look at that and say, come on in. Or because you're generally a good person and you haven't killed anyone. We can't be good enough. In fact, the scripture says that all of our good deeds are like filthy rags when we compare them to the grace of God. It's grace, stupid. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. Now, if you today want to give up and say, I need the grace of God, you can do that. And all you have to do is just tell God that exact thing. Say, God, I give up and I need your grace. I believe you died on the cross and I need your grace to cover me and I'm going to quit trying to get you to love me more. Because you can't make God love you more and you can't make God love you less. Bow your heads. If, um, if you know that you need to be, if you need the grace of God and you've been trying to earn your place in heaven on your own and, and you're trying to do that on your own, I want you to lift up your hand really high where I can see it. Okay, and I want you to pray this prayer if that's who you are. If you're saying, I need the grace of God, just pray this prayer. Father God, I give up trying to save myself. I believe that it's only your grace that can save me. And I want to let that grace cover me. And I'm going to quit trying to be God. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. Please come live in my life and change me. Amen. Now, if you're here this morning and, and, uh, and you are a follower of Christ already and you know, that, you know that it's grace that saved you, remind yourself of that every day. Spend some time praying in the morning and say, God, today I want to serve you and I want you to remind me throughout the day that it's only by your grace that I'm saved. Because if we will all be reminded of that every day, we will treat people differently, we will act differently, we will spend our money differently, we will do everything differently if we go throughout the day understanding that it's only because of the grace of God I can take this next breath. It's only because of the grace of God that I can go to heaven when I die. It's only because of the grace of God that I can be forgiven of sin. We can't, we can't be good enough, all right? Hey, let's celebrate that as we go out of here. Stand up together. We're going to sing this last song about God saving us, about how it's His grace, and that we can't do anything for it ourselves. And let's go out of here celebrating that fact and excited.